All conversations and information contained within the Total Health and Fitness Podcast is intended for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse anything you hear on this show with treatment, medical advice, or direction. Nothing on this podcast is meant to supplement or supersede the relationship with your medical caretakers. Although James is a licensed massage therapist, certified health coach, personal trainer, yoga, and martial arts instructor, he is not functioning in these roles in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who appear on this show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Total Health and Fitness Podcast. I am your host, James Louie. Thank you for joining me again on this episode. So uh, today, as we uh, continue to talk about ways to improve your health and wellness journey and um, learn new things about uh, things that you can utilize in your health and wellness journey, I have an amazing guest. Uh, He is uh, over 30 years of practice in the field of uh, East Asian medicine. Uh, both practicing, researching, teaching, and publishing. He is a a licensed acupuncturist. He is one of the four founding members of the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. Uh, He has studied in China, Japan, and Thailand. Uh, So I'm very happy to have on the show today, uh, Dr. Richard Gold. Thank you so much, James. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. I hope I got everything in there. I know there's like a long bunch of things you've done, but I hope that capsizes a lot of um, you know, the, the stuff you've done in the field. That's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> and I also know you, you do um, uh, music now and binaural beats. So maybe if there's time, we can touch on that too, because I know Certainly. it's very, very interesting as well. So um, I just wanted to say thank you on, on the podcast because uh, I had reached out to you when I was doing remote teaching in massage therapy uh, uh, school in South Carolina. And I was, was uh, mentioned, uh, well, Susan Salva mentioned that you were an excellent person to reach out to. Uh, for uh, learning more about Chinese medicine as I was uh, teaching it to the students. And uh, you were very quick to just uh, answer my text. And we, we talked a couple times. So I just want to say how appreciative I am that you uh, made, made time for me. I've always made time for me and I reached out. Certainly. I, I really feel part of my destiny is to help communicate this ancient and modern tradition as much as possible. It's been an absolute, absolute privilege of my life. Oh, no, it's great. You've always been very helpful. And like I said, you've always been ready to answer questions. So I, I appreciate that. And, and part of having you on the podcast today, aside from educating my audience about um, some acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, it's a little bit also of my education. Um, part of my background when I went to massage therapy school was my, um, you know, Western Swedish and medical massage. But the other part of it was um, AMA or Asian body work. And uh, I was so busy going to school, working, and then when I was done with that, going out into the field that I, I didn't really get um, a chance to ask some questions about what I was studying until afterwards when I was actually in the field practicing it. So uh, it's an opportunity for me to learn today as well. Well, we're, we're all <laughs> continual students in medicine. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So uh, this might be a, a question that'd be tough to do briefly, but uh, I guess for our audience, what, what uh, made you get into the path of um, traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture? Um, Well, actually, from the age of four, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, It was just what I wanted to do. And when I went off to college in 1968, I was a pre-med chemistry major. The years 68 to 72 were quite tumultuous uh, in in America. And like many uh, young baby boomers, um, my eyes opened in ways I never anticipated. And the long and short of it is I became a religious studies major with a pre-med minor. And... um, 
where I was at in my life at that time was to, and actually I'd worked in hospitals too during summers and winter breaks. And doctors had become a negative role model for me. I really saw it was a hospital orderly and the uh, associated staff of nursing and other healthcare providers uh, were much more uh, connected in providing uh, like healing energy uh, than the doctors who would rush into rooms, uh, not really even make eye contact often and just make prescriptions or order, order procedures. So I really soured on becoming a doctor and I devoted my personal life to, um, I would call it spiritual development at that point. I had taken a month-long uh, meditation retreat retreat with a Buddhist monk, and uh, I recognized before I could help others, I had to be clear about who I was. And um, it's going to sound a little odd probably here in the year 2022, uh, but I then, uh, after college, upon graduation, I went and lived more or less as a hermit in rural Kentucky in a refurbished uh, log cabin with no indoor plumbing. Uh, electricity was brought in by the uh, rural electric cooperative. So it was primitive, but at least I had electricity. And really, one day I woke up. I woke from this dream, and all I wanted to do was study Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Um, I didn't really know any acupuncturists at the time. Um, it was just a, it was a calling. It was not a rational, linear th- a thought pattern. Um, there was a challenge in that there were no schools in the United States, and uh, I had no access to really information uh, Outside of my little log cabin in Kentucky, um, there was certainly no internet, and there was there was just no access really. Um, I held on to the dream though, um, and then a few years later, I went to visit my older brother, who was a graduate student. Uh, he's a sinologist. <clears throat> he was a graduate student at Harvard. I went to a wedding of a friend, a college friend, um, off of Cape Cod. My older brother knew of my interest, and he took me to a laundry off of Harvard Square, a Chinese laundry, and was there. They were selling a few books that I bought my first book of of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Um, When I was back in Kentucky, I self-studied, and my body became my own uh, laboratory in a sense because I was doing hard physical labor that I really had not been prepared for at all as a liberal arts uh, college student. And I had pain sensations in my body that didn't conform to any of the physiology I had studied um, as a pre-med student. But when I looked at the meridians of acupuncture, I saw that my sensations were traveling on these meridians, uh, which in some places follow nerves, certainly, but it's not identical to the neurology of the body. Um, Subsequently, a year or so later, we're about in 1977 now, I went to help my parents move out of my child, our childhood home where my brothers and I were raised. And I stopped with a friend at the only vegetarian restaurant in Cincinnati, Ohio, my hometown. And as I was waiting for my soy burger to get uh, served to me, I started leafing through what was a tabloid at the time of the East West Journal. It was the publication of the Macrobiotic um, Foundation. And as I leafed through the pages, an ad jumped out at me announcing the first state-approved school of Chinese medicine and acupuncture in the United States, the New England School of Acupuncture. And in that nanosecond, I knew my life was changing. So after five years of living in the woods of Kentucky, um, I packed up and I moved to uh, Boston area and I began my studies of Chinese medicine. And um, I graduated in 1978 and these 44 years uh, since, my whole career has been devoted to the study, the practice, the teaching, the publishing, um, traveling to learn more, uh, starting schools in, in the field. And it's absolutely been a, a life blessing, something I never anticipated, um, that my interest in medicine and my interest in uh, 
spiritual traditions and East Asian traditions could create a career that's been so, so wonderful and fulfilling and given so much meaning to my life. Wow. That's a, that's amazing. You were like, uh, like had destiny sort of to bring you to this, this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not, it, I would have to say like a similar path with, um, you know, I started in personal training and then started doing, um, yoga and I wanted a deeper sort of medical background. And I, I originally thought about going to med school or pre-med, but then, uh, I found massage therapy school and that's sort of fit a little bit better with what I wanted to do. And, uh, it gave me like a, a Western medical background without, you know, as you, you know, remarked without, I guess the Western, medical system getting right. you know, or being part of that so uh it's it's just a it's an amazing path that like uh like these things find us and then they 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 change the course of our entire lives when we go down absolutely them. and i want to say um even in my career i i did begin to study i studied with a sensei of shiatsu in japan and i studied uh, traditional thai massage in thailand uh, body work is a wonderful profession um, and massage therapy and East Asian body work, AMA that you studied from Japan. These are wonderful professions and very meaningful work. And um, we're considered ancillary uh, healthcare providers. You know, people don't really come to massage therapists with internal medicine problems, et cetera. But the care that we provide and the solace we provide and the connectivity we provide in helping people become more aware of their bodies is absolutely invaluable. So um, I really want to put a plug in for people that really stay with body work and massage therapy. I think it's it's a marvelous profession. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I, I found as a as working with my you know clients or patients that I, uh, I, I was sometimes, you know, they would tell me like I, I one of the few people that spent enough time with them. I mean, a lot of a lot of people came just so they could be their problems could be heard. Um, right. You know, again, I, I, I respect Western medicine, too, but I, I know the system and, you know, just from personal experience and stuff like that, it's they don't always have the time to listen to a patient, give their full concerns or issues or, you know, even if I couldn't like do something about it, I was someone who was listening with them mm -hmm. and trying to make them feel better. Uh, yes. So it's it's amazing profession. So that kind of directs me to the first thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you know, even having gone to a school where acupuncture was was taught and um, I learned Asian body work, I still, you know, when I had clients and patients come to me and ask me about going to an acupuncturist, and I have to admit, I didn't take advantage of the school, so I've not I've not ha had acupuncture. I've had obviously, you know, the the pressure points worked on me, and 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 that would be related to the massage thing, but I've not had it. So when a client comes to me and asks me about acupuncture. And, and why they should go to it. Um, what would be your answer, I guess, to that? Well, um, I wanted to make a point that, and you've, you've done this in an introduction to us saying acupuncture in traditional Chinese medicine. Acupuncture is literally a technique of a complete system of medicine. It's not, it's not a standalone therapy. In fact, it's actually traditionally part of a therapy we call acumoxa therapy, which is a, a warming, a thermal technique. So really, Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine uh, through the centuries, literally through centuries or millennia, really, because our first text of the medicine dates from 236 BC, um, it was the medicine that people used for all of the multiple and sundry complaints that human beings uh, suffer from, in, including plagues and pandemics. Um, uh, through the, year, the years. There's, there's discussions of treating in pandemics uh, in, in our ancient literature. So everything from internal medicine problem to uh, uh, psychological issues, um, 
female issues, including infertility, where acupuncture and Chinese medicine has made some really dramatic um, inroads, um, helping turn breech babies in utero successfully. This was actually published in the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA Journal. Um, really, any complaint that we have, now I'm not saying that we can cure everything, and or I'm not making any claims like that, but, but this is a medicine that can be used for, all, for any aspect of what we're suffering from. And in a more potentially enlightened age, uh, which hopefully we can be in and, and entering deeper into now, uh, integrative medicine, where there's things where, <clears throat> you know, if you cut a part of the body out or if you're on medication every day for a complaint, you haven't cured something. You've ameliorated symptoms and you know, alleviated suffering, but you haven't cured anything. And uh, we we've, we've see that when integrative medicine is done uh, between um, the hearts and minds of, of professionals who feel like on an equal footing, that dramatic benefit can occur. We can get people off of multiple medications and provide uh, dramatic care. Um, we work from pediatrics to geriatrics. And um, there's really, I think in most situations, we can provide benefit. And again, I'm not going to use the word cure here, although cure does occur in, in many instances um, that stands up to research. Um, but if, if someone were to be taking a medication every day for low back pain and there's, there's not a disc or a neurological uh, impingement or a, sco a scoliosis or, or a narrowing of the spine, um, we can provide dramatic help and get people off of meds because every med we take has side effects. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's just the way it is. And if you're taking something for pain and it causes an ulcer, then you take something for an ulcer. You know, it causes something else. And so um, it, I think really if people can, um, uh, your listeners can be um, not, not worried about being needled um, because really our needles are so fine and they're so well made. You, you hardly feel them or if you don't feel them at all going in. And um, that, that I really would encourage people if they're interested and they have a good referral or it's a friend of been seen someone or in the family, I would highly recommend it. At the very least, you're going to have a, a deeply relaxing experience and you're going to have connectivity. Um, that's something we teach in, in our medicine is to listen and to be patient and to help time slow down and to bring bodily awareness. Um, research has really shown that the more aware an individual is of what, what's happening in their own bodies, the more efficient and more efficacy you can get from treatment. No, that's great. I, that was, that actually leads me to the, the next thing in terms of um, if someone has not been to an acupuncturist before, but they're looking for one, are there things that someone could look for to know they're getting, I guess, a, a good acupuncturist or a good a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner? Well, certainly a referral from their doctor or chiropractor or massage therapist uh, would, would be helpful. I never did. I mean, it's going to sound anachronistic. I never really did yellow pages or, you know, advertising like, like I never advertised. It was, my practice was always word of mouth because I was actively teaching students who would refer friend, friends and family. Um, but I, I, I used to tell people that if, if, if you get the same name referral from uh, someone at Whole Foods or a health food store and a, and a doctor, you know, that, that, that's a good sign. Now we have Yelp. Now, I mean, Yelp's not fully objective. You know, there's a lot of opinions or people ask people to write positive reviews for them. But any person who's practicing with a license in the United States has been educated has been well tested, you know, either by state or by national um, testing bureaus. The schools are accredited. Um, our schools are, are regionally accredited by WASC, which is the highest accreditation uh, you can get academically. And um, 
that if, if someone's in practice and been in practice, and it doesn't have to be in practice for 20 years to be competent by any means. Um, sometimes 20-year practitioners are so busy that you don't really get the time. That's the generalization. Hopefully everybody's giving the time that the patients need. But uh, personal referrals or just something where you feel um, some connectivity. And um, if you walk into an office and you're not comfortable, you can walk right out. And um, some practitioners, I'm not sure how rev- prevalent it is now, would have patients sign a commitment to like five or 10 treatments. That's nothing I never did. I always wanted to people to feel under their own volition they were seeing me. And, um, and, that's, and I've always had a strong practice, so that seemed to have worked for me. But do know that anyone who's licensed is well-educated, thoroughly tested, and if they're still in practice, that's because people have been helped by them. Oh no, those are fan- that's fantastic tips and um, and things for people to to I guess rest assured or reassure them that the if the, if someone who's licensed and has gone through the training that they're someone that's qualified to take care of them. I I guess like part of the next question, and I I know this from doing you know Asian body work with a lot of uh, my clients, especially when I got out of school that. There is a certain, I guess, different mindset or certain thing. It's a little bit different going to, you know, a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner than your normal doctor. Uh, you know, we work with the physical, but also the energetic system. So what, what would you say for the person walking into their first session? What, would, what could they expect to be, I guess, you know, what would the assessment be like and what could they expect from a first session? Sure. Well, I always, and I think probably most of us in the in the field do have a questionnaire. There would be, uh, you know, signs and symptoms. Symptoms are what you feel, and signs are what the doctor perceives. Um, a medical history, any history of surgeries, uh, medications, uh, certainly chief complaint. Um, things that are going to be different. Now, a lot of us uh, do take blood pressure. Uh, we might use a stethoscope and listen to the lungs and the heart. These are all part of our training. If it's a, a orthopedic uh, problem, our, our, our students are trained in orthopedic evaluation. But we are going to take a, a lengthy uh, history. Um, and the history, I, what I do with history, I go all the way back to, uh, were, was it difficult for your mother to give birth to you? Uh, was there any, any birth trauma? Um, we might ask questions that are going to sound a little bit unusual. I, because I have a doctor in psychology, I'm very interested in dreams. Um, recurrent dreams are often a uh, clue, um, especially about psychological issues. If there's always a dream of, where there's anxiety and fear, there's a way we correlate that back, in, back into uh, the body's energy. Um, things that we do a little differently than you would see in, in a Western approach is we take the, the, the pulse at the, at the wrist, the radial pulse. And this is a time-honored uh, diagnostic technique we feel 12 different pulses uh, at the wrist. We've, there's three positions and two depths on each wrist. And each of those positions and depths corresponds to one of the main organ meridians, whether it's lung, liver, spleen, heart, et cetera. Um, that, that's an important part. I'd never base a diagnosis solely on pulse, but I use it to help confirm a, a diagnosis. And I have found over the years that when I'm holding someone's pulse and the sense of quiet and connectivity really infuses the the encounter with my patient that it really opens my intuition and oftentimes things will come through me that i ask a question and someone will go well how did you even know that about me or why would you even ask a question like that it's nothing we've really talked about and that's really just sort of activating the uh, the intuition and the uh, ability to to know 
without the without a linear thought pattern. <clears throat> Something else which is really important part of diagnosis, which unfortunately the pandemic has impacted, which is because of our masks, is the tongue. We have the patient to stick their tongue out and we get a lot of information from a person's tongue, especially about the uh, digestive and elimination si uh, systems. The tongue's the only muscle of the whole body we can see without cutting someone open. And uh, we have a, a correspondent map of the tongue where the tip relates to the heart and behind that's the lungs and all the way in the back is for the kidneys and the intestines. And um, if your listeners uh, would like, after we were done talking, they could go take a, get a mirror and look at their tongue. And if the tongue is, is thickly coated, that's a sign of phlegm accumulation. And this is something that when we get sick, when we have phlegm accumulation, is going to really be um, a problem because your body's going to have to eliminate all, all, all of that before, before we get well. If the tongue is sort of has a purple hue to it, that's a sign of, of blood stagnation. Now, blood stagnation doesn't mean arterial sclerosis, but arterial sclerosis is a form of, of deep-seated blood stagnation. So we're able to um, get a sense of what's happening in real time with the body. And I think this is quite important because um, when you go to a physician and have blood work done, the blood work comes back a couple of days later, um, there's a good chance your system and your profile has shifted since that. And, and decisions are made uh, based on that blood work that might not necessarily be relevant still at that moment. Something that many of us do in the field, uh, I think you probably as a body worker, an East Asian body worker, we're exposed to this quite a bit, is a palpitation of the abdomen. Mm. And we can palpate to feel the actual physical organs of the body. And we can also palpate to feel the, the energy system of the body. And um, I, we call this ampuku, uh, which is a horror diagnosis. And ampuku is the treatment of the abdomen in Japanese. And um, so much of what happens to us in terms of health uh, correlates to the health of our digestion, elimination, and eliminate, digestion, assimilation, and elimination. So this becomes a, a, very, a very good tool. So as I've been discussing this, your listeners probably know that time has been taken. Um, I don't sit behind the desk, um, which, you know, a lot of times when you see a doctor, now they sit behind the desk and type into a computer. Um, we're actually involved. Uh, we've, touched, we've touched the pulse. We've, we've touched the abdomen. If there's a pain sensation, I'll touch the body to find out, like, the neurological root of the pain. So there's a much more interactiveness, I think. And, um, and uh, I think this is a really valuable. It's, an, it's a healing. The, the intake is often a healing encounter itself. And, um, and if people resonate with their practitioner and feel benefit, um, they're going to come back and they're going to, over time, you're going to feel, you're going to start to feel a lot better. No, yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, you obviously go in way more depth than I than I do when I do my intake or when I'm doing um, you know, Asian body work with a client. But the, I found like, you know, going into the in-depth history, you know, the intake form from, you know, my normal body work versus my Asian body work, you know, clients was way more in depth, uh, like in many of the things that you mentioned and the tongue and pulse and the palpation of the abdomen was, you know, it, it was like, I think the client definitely felt like they were having time spent on them and that their concerns were definitely being met and addressed. Um, in, in terms of like what you would do. So after you've done the assessment and you've, you know, I guess you've kind of zeroed in on a diagnosis, would, how, how long, I guess, would you start with, I know herbal treatments are part of it. Is that, is that something you would do in the office? Is that something you would send a person home with? 
yes, um, the clinic that I work works that I've been working with for many years because I was founder of it. Uh, we do keep an herbal pharmacy. Um, the schools have raw herbs. Um, the compliance is low because people have to cook those, and it can be a little smelly. Um, but herbs, herbs are an important part of our medicine. It's a form of internal medicine. Um, and so we use tinctures and, and powders, um, which we get a high compliance. And there's a, a strong efficacy. There's benefit from these. Um, I don't necessarily use herbal formulas on the first visit. I want to see how far we can get just with acupuncture and um, sort of communication and awareness. Um, I do, we, we do have a communication uh, challenge. I'm not going to say it's an issue as much as a challenge, because when I say to someone, let's say, uh, that your, your liver uh, blood is stagnant, um, which is one of the diagnostic categories we use in our medicine, people are all of a sudden going to be worried about their, 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 their the physicality of their liver, their, their liver functions per se. But, but liver blood stagnation is going to manifest often, it can manifest as digestive problems, excessive uh, burping and, and bloating. It might emotionally be um, outbursts of, of anger, um, things of this nature. So we have to communicate in a way that people don't um, extrapolate when we use words like kidney and liver and heart into a medical model where they see those things as being pathological. And of, um, there's definitely gonna be concern, but there shouldn't be pa panic. Um, so usually after the first treatment, then I just, we, we look for a, what we call pattern recognition because we don't, we're not reductionist in our thinking. We're not looking for a, a, a single cause. Um, we see the complexity of a human being and we understand that there's within the pattern, the complexity can be, uh, could be better understood. And then we will, I'll, I'll choose points to use. Um, and then insert uh, the patient that will lie, usually lie down, especially first treatments, unless it's particularly low back pain and they can't even get on the table. I'll do that seated, but definitely in a secure position and work very slowly, uh, inserting the needles, getting the patient comfortable. And in my practice, I like to have patients have a certain period, like about 15 minutes of quiet time. Um, we have uh, especially now that I'm producing music, we have this very <laughs> mindful music playing, playing in the office and uh, all the patients are given a bell. So if they need, it's a wireless bell. So if they need to be tended to, um, it can happen, you know, quite quickly um, and turn off, dim the lights and let the person have a moment of self-awareness. Self Often give a few suggestions to just follow your breath and watch the breath move in and out of your abdomen. Uh, breathe slowly be comfortable. And then, um, and then when the, after the, tr the needles come out, um, I'll often do a little bit of spot massage, um, just so that there's some therapeutic touch involved, not just the needling. And then we'll discuss a treatment plan. And so a first visit usually is a bit about, you know, 45, even to 90 minutes sometimes, depending on the complexity of the situation. Um, oftentimes patients uh, will bring in bags of all the pharmaceuticals they're on. Um, this is information for me. Um, under our license, we're not allowed to take people off of medications. Uh, we can make suggestions to go back to their doctors to talk about it. But um, there's a concept in, in Western medicine, in medicine called iatrogenic disease, which is uh, sadly uh, 
translates as doctor-induced disease. Mm-hmm. And we can see this happening with multiple medications. So um, I see my role as but not just as a practitioner, but as a teacher in a, in a, to inform and to help people become empowered in their own, their own health. Um, I often will give dietary recommendations. Um, oftentimes we're eating things that are the exact wrong things for us. Um, and this doesn't mean everybody should be a vegan or vegetarian or anything like that. But um, if you have a thickly coated tongue and you eat a pint of ice cream every night, I'm going to mention that to you <laughs> as a red flag. Um, I, I, you know, so there's, a, there's a, it, it, medicine's a very complex field. And, and I think having a holistic integrative approach is very beneficial, uh, but it makes it more complex. Reductionism makes things seem more specific and pointed, but it oftentimes you, you miss the forest because you're just looking at one tree. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. It's, um, I mean, it's very, again, you said, you know, Western medicine tends to be very reduction wise in terms of just isolating down to the organ or the part of the body where or one pathogen, a particular pathogen, right, without looking at like the holistic, you know, implications of what else is going on in the body or how that that one pathogen could be affecting all the other systems. Yeah. Uh, I mean, something as simple as sleep, uh, it's not simple for many of us, um, is an important is an important factor in our, how healthy we're going to be. It's interesting, uh, just as a side note, recent research has shown that when we sleep, our brain literally changes shape. Um, and this and, and unknown conduits open in the brain, we call glymphatics now, where the brain actually drains um, the, uh, the metabolic byproduct of all the activity. And our brain uses about 25% of all, all metabolism in our body. And so there's a tremendous amount of waste product um, from brain activity. And um, now we know that the brain actually drains and it only occurs with sleep and in meditation. So um, if you're not sleeping well, and if you're using meds to sleep all the time, you're really running the risk of your brain becoming uh, sort of accumulative uh, repositories of a lot of metabolic ash or metabolic byproduct. No, that's amazing. I, I, I've said now I've, a couple of times in previous episodes of the podcast and, you know, when I was starting my, my, my career as a personal trainer and then moving through it, I, I think I would have um, gone back, you know, now, now I would start, I usually start people with sleep. Like what's your sleep hygiene before I address other lifestyle issues, you know, if they come to me for a health coach, because I think, you know, if you, anything, anything that you want in terms of your health journey will be improved by having better sleep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's critical. Um, it's yeah, it's critical to to all things. Um, so you again touched upon it, and uh, you know, with a little bit of time that we we have still together, I wanted to ask you. You you've also branched off into music more recently now. Yes, this um, I've I've always again in the forty plus years I've worked, I've always used um, like we would call new age or relaxing music in my in my work. Um, and it became, a, I would say, a little redundant. And as, as electronic music became more prevalent, it wasn't, I didn't feel it was as therapeutic as, as possible. Um, I had a chance meeting about 14 years ago now. I was teaching a traditional Thai massage at Esalen Institute in Big Sur. And I, uh, I ran into a guy there named Yuval Ron, who was teaching a course in uh, neuroscience and sound, sound healing. He was teaching with it. He himself is a musician and a composer and a performer. And he was teaching it with a noted uh, neuroscientist named Mark Waldman. And um, I asked him if it would be possible to bring a higher level of musicality 
to this area of, of healing and mindfulness music where we actually used acoustic musicians. Um, a, a part of this also is in Chinese medicine, we have what's called the six healing sounds where each of the elements is assigned one of the chords, uh, one of the tonics, I mean, of, of the scale. And he really found the uh, idea intriguing where we can use acoustic musicians and the uh, wisdom we've learned from modern neuroscience and, and functional MRIs to uh, create music that was pointedly healing. There's something called brain entrainment where, and this is where you mentioned binaural beats, which is a type of brain entrainment where you, we use it subliminally where you're actually not even hearing it in the, in the themes that you're hearing. You're just hearing beautiful music by acoustic musicians. But when you insert beats and you actually, the brain will start to cycle at the beat that it's being fed. And so we can actually literally bring the brain into meditative states by providing beats, it's slower and slower hertz, beats per second. And so we've, we've created a whole catalog of music now using uh, wisdom of Chinese medicine, yoga, Ayurvedic, um, all combined with modern neuroscience. It's really an integrative approach, approach to music. And um, if your listeners are interested, um, our, our label is called Meta, M-E-T-T-A, Mindfulness Music. And we have uh, multiple tracks. Uh, we're also on the streaming services of Spotify. If you look for us on Spotify, you have to look under Yuval Ron, Y-U-V-A-L-R-O-N. And um, we've had tremendously positive feedback um, from our music um, and uh, messages that I received from, from listeners. So this has been, I still practice clinically um, in, in a very fortuitous way for me personally, during the pandemic, when the clinics closed and we had to limit the hours of practice, being engulfed and enriched by creating in the music field has been very rewarding for me. And uh, we've been very productive and uh, can continue to produce really beautiful music. That sounds great. And is, is this music, uh, I'm sure you have music also that we were just speaking about that, that will help with sleep or you could play when you're trying oh, to absolutely. sleep? We have tracks we call, you know, uh, relief sleeplessness. We, we absolutely do. Excellent. And, and I guess, um, and these, and all of, I guess, the different tracks you could use for meditation in general, or there, there's, I guess, specific tracks for different types of meditation? Well, yes, I think that they could be, we, we have, we have actually designate some that this is for alpha waves, this is for theta waves, these are, you know, these are for gamma waves. Uh, we specify that. Um, if any of your listeners have an app called Insight Timer, we have uh, things on Insight Timer that aren't necessarily even on our website, because it's a, a different listening audience. But absolutely. Uh, listeners should know that with, with binaural beats, which you mentioned before, um, the efficacy of binaural beats depends on the use of headphones. Because you're sending one beat through one ear and one beat through another ear, and then the brain modulates that into a third frequency. So that's, that's some. Now, the music can still be beautiful with binaural beats and can be beneficial, but to actually get the effect of the binaural beats, uh, head, headphones are required. Or, yeah, that was a good, that's a great, not perfect. Yeah, I was gonna say if you, I, mean, I guess you could get something out of it if you were just playing playing it, but it's probably best served when you're using headphones and really yes. focalizing it. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Well, this has been been great. Um, I, I guess before we we fully wrap up, is there aside from getting better sleep, uh, is there any uh, recommendations you would you would make to anybody? I guess generally that for to for their overall health on what, whatever their goals are. 
Well, I would definitely uh, emphasize a healthy diet. Um, and a healthy diet, there's no uh, monolithic diet that's good for everybody. We have different blood types. We live in different climatic zones. We have different interests in food. But um, I, I really think that a, a mindfulness and eating, um, and even eating slower than we all do, I think would be a highly important recommend, recommendation. Um, I think um, exercise is absolutely vital. Um, I think some extreme exercise uh, would be categorized as extreme, but certainly exercise is, 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 is really vital. Stretching, keeping, keeping limber, spending time outside, uh, laughter, um, finding things where you um, can get outside of yourself and begin to um, become more self-aware. I think it's really important. Uh, I think some some sort of meditative practice, which I'm going to distinguish from prayer. I mean, prayer is very vital and important, but meditative practice is is being coming more self aware. It's not beseeching or asking or desiring. Um, it's it's a really important. I think we all need to become more and more aware of our. I call it the, the, our, our narrative self, the part of our of our mind that's always talking to our talking to us and chastising us or, or belittling us, hopefully in enhancing us and building ourselves up. But that's not the case for most of us. Most of our narrative selves, there's sort of a parental voice, um, not a nice parental voice often too, but becoming aware of that voice and being able to distinguish that voice from your true self, you know, it, only by quieting our minds can we really listen. And I think that's an invaluable, invaluable thing. Um, new experiences and travel. And there's so many things we can do to benefit ourselves. Um, and um, and I enc encourage this kind of variety in life and uh, finding where, where your passion lies. All of that's great. I agree with all, all yeah. of that 100%. I, I thank you for sharing that. Uh, if our, and, oh, sorry. And a, and a massage occasionally. I would even say I would recommend getting massage. Uh, you know, acupuncture is wonderful, and it's, but it's often considered more of a medical oriented technique. You have to have a problem for it. Um, getting a regular massage is just, it's a little slice of heaven. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I would, uh, I would recommend, I tell, well, I, I never I, like much like you when I, when people would say, well, how many times should I come back? I'd be like, well, whatever you think you, you need, but I, I probably, you know, depending on what your job is, uh, you know, probably once a month, if it's very physically intensive, sometimes twice a month for a massage, um, yeah. you know, well, those of us that have studied massage and body work, you know, when you're in school and you're getting a massage every day or every other day, it's, it's a good time of life. It is a good time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I think it's the best part of my, my students. They, they, didn't, they don't know sometimes what they're signing up for, but they're like, oh, I get massages like at least once a week, if not more. This is great. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> well, you've been so generous with your time today. Um, if, if people want to, aside from looking up your music, is there anywhere else you'd like to direct them to look you up and the work you're doing? Um, the music is the main thing. Uh, really, I do have a couple of books that you can find under my name that are specific. They're, they're textbooks in the field. One's on shiatsu that I learned in Japan with my teacher. They're on Amazon in the traditional Thai massage. I have a book, um, but I'm not I don't do a lot of self-promoting in that way. Oh, that, that's fine. I mean, I'll, I'll put links uh, to the muse to your music site and I'll put links to your, your textbooks also in the show notes in case people want to uh follow up with your work. I mean, I, and also good. Um, just, you could put the Pacific college. Um, if people are interested in, in pursuing study, um, Pacific college has campuses in San Diego, Chicago, and New York city. Oh, wow. And um, it provides, you know, but if you don't want to move from your home, there's schools now all over the country, luckily. And um, 
you know, there's, there's, there's good education happening all across the country. There's been a real renaissance of Chinese medicine in the West. No, I think it's, it's definitely taken, you know, it's definitely become more prominent, which I'm, I'm happy about. I mean, when I went to massage school back in 2011, I think it was still on the periphery. Now, you know, recently, you know, in the last, like, I think five, maybe six years, you know, I hear, you know, clients or patients coming and say, my doctor recommends I go see an acupuncturist or, you know, you know, traditional Western practitioners are now recommending it more often, which I think is very encouraging. Once again, Rick, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. I will, in the show notes, link to the things that you mentioned for people to reach out to you to find your music and your textbooks. And audience, once again, thank you for joining us today in this episode. If you want to reach out to me, charlestonintegratedwellness at gmail.com. Please send me your thoughts, your comments, your ideas of things you'd like to hear on the show or future guests. And if you uh, would check out the Facebook page, Charleston Integrated Wellness on Facebook, uh, you can also leave your comments and thoughts there when I post um, the show. So thank you for listening, and I will talk to you on the next episode.